0: Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by asweatlife.com on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. With me, I have Cindy Kuzma and Kristen Guile. Good morning, Gina.
1: Good morning, Gina.
0: Good morning, Kristen and Cindy. So this week I spoke with Todd Uterstadt, who is the founder and CEO of a company called From Founder to CEO. He's got a podcast of the same name. And his goal is to help level up your leadership. So he's a founder and CEO coach. And he has a lot of really interesting insights into productivity and the sort of ways that you organize your day and the small changes you can make to make you not only a better, more productive manager, but a better leader and a better CEO.
1: There were so many things that I thought were interesting about this interview, Kristen. And one of them was the way that Todd uses both old school techniques and technology to achieve his goals and to help others achieve their goals. I thought his workout of choice was particularly fascinating, pool walking, because this is something that as a runner who has been injured, I have forced myself to do when I've been hurt. But the idea that somebody (laughs) does that um, as their workout of choice is fascinating. And I think some of the reasons were, were really interesting. Can you talk to me a little bit about that?
0: Yes, absolutely. So, Todd, as you will hear in this podcast, he loves technology. He is all about using technology strategically to help us replace time sucking administration tasks. One he mentioned specifically was the act of scheduling a meeting. You know, there's always a lot of back and forth about, no, I've got this time, I've got this time, but what about location? And he mentioned a technology that specifically takes that back and forth out of scheduling, so all you have to do is sign up for a time slot, and you are good to go with your partner that you're trying to meet with. However, when everything's getting to be a little too much, and he needs to clear his head, uh, his favorite way to do that is to go completely offline for some pool walking. And he said that he loves the Zen aspect of it. He loves the fact that he physically can't have a phone or an iPad or a computer with him, obviously because of the water. And he said it's when he gets some of his best thinking done. So I think there's other ways to do it. If pool walking has uh, bad memories for you, Cindy, I'm sure you know running without technology could be something similar. Any way to unplug throughout the day and really sort of get into a flow state where you can let the ideas come to your mind more naturally instead of having a brain that works on overdrive trying to solve every one of the world's problems in the next 24 hours. And he talks to a lot of people who have gone from starting their own company to really moving into the role of CEO. And one thing he sort of preaches is the act of accountability. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, so one thing that I thought was really interesting, we've all heard about accountability buddies, you know, someone that you text in the morning to make sure that they're going to the gym at the same time as you, or someone who's maybe trying to reach a similar goal to you at the same time so you can work on it together. And he encourages his clients to do that as well, of course, but with a slight twist. He wants his clients to share their goals with two people, one person that you know personally and who gets you, who sort of understands the way that you're wired and maybe why you're choosing to accomplish certain goals and maybe how you'll stand in your own way or what particular strengths you have that will help you in that process. But aside from that personal friend, he wants you to share your goals with one professional acquaintance who can hold you accountable while knowing maybe more about your industry And, you know, what tips and tricks you can use other people in your network who might be able to help you and sort of having this dual accountability really keeps your goal well rounded and makes it more of a focus because you're not just segmenting it off into like this is a professional goal, or this is a personal goal, it really helps to incorporate it into your whole life.
1: Yeah, I loved that. And I think that that is just one of the pieces of practical advice that people are really going to be able to take away from this interview. So here is Kristen with
2: Todd. Welcome to the We Got
0: Goals podcast. My name is Kristen Guile, and today I'm here with Todd Uderstadt, the founder and CEO of From Founder to CEO. Todd, how are you doing today?
2: I am doing great, Kristen. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thank you. We're so excited to have you on this podcast because leadership and goal setting is something that we're very passionate about over here on A Sweat Life, and we've loved hearing from you about how you take people to the next level, especially when they're co-founding and founding their small businesses and really going through that process to become leaders. So to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you got the idea for From Founder to CEO?
2: Yeah, so I am a former army intelligence officer who kind of transformed myself into a management consultant at one point in time. And uh, we started our own executive coaching firm. And along the way, we started getting lots of phone calls from startup CEOs who said, Hey, Todd, can you coach us? And Kristen, our, our business model was not set up for them. It was usually it was set up for mid-sized companies and for corporations. So I got the, the crazy idea of saying, Well, why do I do a podcast? <laughs> and I'll interview successful founders about kind of their personal leadership transformation into ceo because it's really hard to scale a business and scale yourself at the same time and so yeah so we started this uh, podcast called from founder to ceo and it just took off
0: who was a recent guest that you had on anyone interesting
2: yeah um do you know adam Braun from pencils of promise
0: no tell me more
2: so Adam wrote this book, a New York Times bestselling book called Promise of a Pencil. And it is describes his journey from starting Pencils of Promise, which builds schools around the world in, in underdeveloped areas. And uh, they've built over 400 schools now. And Adam is just a rock star. He's a really great guy. And he's starting a new company called Mission U. And his book is really about the transformation of him of founding Pencils of Promise into a real organization. And so it was really a joy to have him on the show because I'd read his book and he's he's a really good guy.
0: That's awesome. I can't wait to check it out. One of the things we ask everyone who comes on the We Got Goals podcast is, what is a big goal you've achieved in the past, and why was it so important to you, and how did you get there? Yeah,
2: that's a big question. I love how you guys ask that question, because it's so fundamental to all our lives, don't you think?
0: Yeah, yeah, really getting into the deep stuff right away here. Yeah,
2: well, when we started the podcast, maybe I'm a little bit ashamed to admit that we didn't really come up with a monetization version of it. We just said, you know, let's see if we can build an audience and and help people around the world. And now we're listened to in over a hundred countries around the world. And so at some point in time, I said, well, you know, this is a lot of work, but at the same time, people started asking us, well, what else could you do for us? You know, they would email me and say, we'd like to podcast, but we need a little bit more help. So I had this goal of creating a group of founders from different cities to come together on a regular basis to really help them solve their practical problems while simultaneously helping them navigate that road from founder to CEO. And so a year ago, we started it and it was a lot of work, Kristen. I mean, from the branding of it into setting it up and marketing, the marketing of it, you know, is a big deal. And uh, a year ago, we launched our first group and in the first 48 hours, we got like I think half of our members right away. And it was just so gratifying to know that we listened to our audience and we created something that they said, yes, we need this. And then a, a couple of days ago, we had a reunion. They missed each other and we had a reunion and hearing them all describe their 2017 and how powerful it was and how well they're doing really made setting that goal of creating what we call Trail Team 10. That's the name of the gift to the group. We really kind of come full circle and say, wow, I'm so glad that big, crazy goal that we create this group called Trail Team 10 actually not only came true, but also, also has was so impactful on people's lives
0: Oh, that's so fulfilling. I'm sure it must have been a really big moment for you.
2: It was, you know, and didn't really hit me until we had this reunion call and everyone was saying they had their best year yet. Twenty seventeen was their best year yet. And they just were so excited to see each other again and they missed each other. And it was just gratifying to see them all doing so well because all I did was bring them together and facilitate a dialogue and help keep them focused and really bring bring them together in a way. It's funny. Some friend of mine said to me, Well Todd, wait, how are you gonna get all these people to connect with each other in a group when and they don't know each other. And one of the requirements is they have to be from different cities. And I found that I didn't have to worry about it because they had what we call now distant intimacy. Because they were in different cities, they felt real and authentic about sharing. And so it worked out really well. So it was very gratifying to answer your question. Yes.
0: You mentioned right at the start of the interview that you were an army intelligence officer. And I know that you were in Berlin soon after a major moment in human history. Can you tell me a little bit about what that moment was like and how it impacted you both as a young man and still today? Not to imply that you're not a young man, but it's been a few years since you were in the Army.
2: Yes, yes, that's true. No, that's okay. You can call me an old man. That's right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um, it was a very, you know, at the time I took it for granted. So I, I was stationed in Berlin, Germany, just after November 9th, 1989, when the wall, quote unquote, came down, but it took him a while to take the wall down. And I was there after November 9th, 1989. And it was really a pivotal moment in my life. And it actually turned out to be one of my big first goal setting kind of experiences because I was watching. Watching all the military officers, and I was enlisted at the time, enlisted in the, in the U.S. Army, and watching the officers do their work as intelligence officers. And I was doing well as an enlisted soldier in kind of in Berlin, Germany, when a lot of historical things were happening. So it was a really interesting time period. And they had this thing called a Green to Gold Scholarship, where basically an enlisted individual can apply to go back to school finish their degree and become an army officer. And at some point in time, I said, wow, you know, I I think I really want to strive for this really big goal of competing for this scholarship to go back to school and then go back in the army as an army officer. And Kristen I had no idea whether or not I would get it or not, but it was a lot of work to put all the application together and get all the recommendations and just a lot of work. And lo and behold, I got it. So I credit that year in Berlin and all the really amazing things that were happening there with me kind of getting my first big professional career goal and accomplishing it.
0: Wow. That's amazing. It was such a transformative moment in human history. And it's interesting to hear about how it impacted the world on a macro level, but then also how it impacted you on a micro level and then came right back out as you work to transform other people as well.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I haven't thought about that way that way until you just mentioned it. But um, there were so many people's lives that were transformed in that year. I mean, East and West Germany came together, East Berlin and West Berlin came together, families that were separated for decades. And it just was really impactful on me to see the power of the human spirit overcome oppression, overcome difficult circumstances. And it just reminded me that, gosh, my goal was to compete for the scholarship and go back in the army as an officer that's a pretty micro goal compared to you know the big goal of reuniting two countries and it just put things in perspective for me you know
0: yeah i totally get that as you said just now you saw a lot of people overcome huge challenges and obstacles during this time in history but you also help founders new founders of emerging startups face their own challenges what challenges have you found that the founders that you work with face typically that slow them down on their way to becoming an effective CEO and leader?
2: You know, it's funny because it's my intention to go back and kind of mine all of our podcast episodes and pull all together kind of an empirical research project and just go back to all of them and kind of catalog all that. But off the top of my head, I would say probably the biggest issue of a founder moving to CEO is being self-aware enough to know at the different inflection points, the new type of leader that they need to be for their company. It's hard because it's a constant self-awareness and you have to start off with being, I think, someone who is very in tune with who you are. And that's that's not easy to do when your company is growing fast. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking when I was brainstorming questions for this interview, I thought that maybe a ton of founders that you work with might tend to get caught up in just the small day-to-day administration of running a new and fledgling company, which can sort of leave them hanging when it comes time to big picture and more strategic thinking.
2: I think you're right. That exactly is exactly one of the things that happens. And because when you are a founder, maybe there's, you know, three or four people on your team, maybe they're just all co-founders, you tend to wear many hats. And it's very difficult to know which hats to begin to take off, per se, and give those responsibilities to someone else. And so many of them, I mean, the phrase, the so common phrase, Kristen, that all of them say is it's hard letting go. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and but it means different things at different points in time in that journey. But it's a common phrase because 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 to your point, they get used to doing things and now the organization requires them, is asking them, sometimes is demanding them to be a different leader and kind of rise up above some of the tasks and focus on larger issues. Like for example, hiring key people and establishing the culture of the organization and managing the culture of the organization, which is often the differentiator between a successful startup and scale up and an unsuccessful one.
0: You know, that reminds me of one of our favorite things that we say at A Sweat Life and that's that everything is better with friends. I also tend to think of that as um, a way to remind me to keep key people around me. I think of it as like my personal cabinet, right? The people that I go to for advice or for help with major decisions or just when I need like a good slap on the face and be like, wake up a little bit. This is what you need to be doing. So what sort of advice do you give to the people that you work with for finding those people and maybe not just defaulting to the people who make you feel good, but the people who challenge you?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. We, well, those people around you—they serve different purposes for you personally, right? Right. So I think it's the same. It's the same thing for a founder. It's realizing that you need different types of people around you to support you for for various different reasons, and that takes the shape of many different resources for a founder. So, for example, if you have if you're a funded company, your board obviously plays a big role in that. If you're an unfunded company, you can create your own personal board of advisors to be a board for you. A, a lot of founders will join an organization. They're There's Young Presidents Organization, there's EO, there's an array of organizations to your point to bring people around you and that's why we created trail team 10 too because we saw a need for startup ceos to from different cities to kind of be able to come together and challenge each other kind of sharpen each other to be better but i think it's important to remember that it's okay to have different people serve different roles so someone could be a really good expert on you have someone who's a mentor about financial issues and you know you get together with them maybe twice a year and it could be a friend it could be a relative it could be someone you pay it could be just somebody who takes an interest in in you and your business, but bringing those types of people around you is so important. Everyone talks about that in, in every interview that I've ever done. And I know that there's a lot of, um, there's like CEO roundtables that are a part of a lot of chambers in different cities that a lot of people join as well. So I think it's important. You're right. Not only just from the professional perspective, but from a friend perspective, to know other people are kind of experiencing some of the things, same things that you are.
0: Yeah, it gets lonely at the top, I hear, for CEOs.
2: It does. Well, I, I just had a lunch appointment today with someone who literally is three doors down from my office, who listens to my show. I had no idea who he was. And we were just talking about that. I said, and he was working on some issues. He says, yeah, no one in my company really knows about all you know the decisions I have to make on this. I said, it's pretty lonely, isn't it? He says, you don't even know, Todd. I said, of course I know. He says, oh yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, it gets very lonely, but it doesn't have to be. And that's one of my kind of mantras to people is it doesn't have to be lonely. Most teams want you to be transparent with them, share, tell them what you're, how you're feeling. you can't be overly maudlin about it because then they'll get scared, right? But you have to share your emotions and how you're feeling about things. That's the pathway for the most successful founding CEOs that I've worked with and and that I've interviewed.
0: That's awesome. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about like productivity. Your website and your podcasts tend to focus on practical, actionable tips that founders can take to follow their dreams. What have you found that works personally for you in your daily life?
2: Yeah, so there are a lot of things now that technology-wise that don't necessarily make you more productive. Like they don't make a task for you more productive. They actually replace tasks, which makes you more productive. So we're used to doing things that, hey, yeah, this will make me, I'll be able to do this faster. Well, nowadays, for example, there's uh, x.ai, which completely takes the task of scheduling meetings with people out of your list because it talks to computer with some artificial intelligence that looks at your calendar and their calendar and sets up the meeting for you without having to do a thing, but CC Amy at X.ai. And so that's an example of productivity where founders nowadays are not saying, Hey, I just want to be able to be faster X, Y, Z. They say, no, I want to use some technology and some other things that replace some of the activities that I do. I think that's the first major insight that many of them have taught me as I've interviewed them. That's number one. Number two is I personally believe that productivity and mental clarity are intimately connected. Like you have to have, you have to exercise, right? Right. You have to do things that give your mind Peace and clarity so that you know the single biggest thing to do as it relates to productivity, which is appropriately prioritize. But you can't prioritize things if your mind is racing and you haven't given your mind the opportunity to be clear about exactly who you are and exactly what your company is doing and exactly what your responsibilities are in that company. And that requires, you know, I, sometimes I'll go to... Um, I. Workout at Lifetime Fitness in Cincinnati and I'll go and pool walk because it's mindless and no one bothers me. <laughs> and that sounds silly, right? But just walking back and forth in the pool because it's mindless and it's, instead of walking outside where there's no resistance, it's walking in the pool. But that for me clears my head so that I can then prioritize correctly and then that affects my pro- my productivity.
0: And with that pool walking, you have the added bonus of generally not being reachable by phone. You actually have to unplug unless you've got some really fancy waterproof case that I just haven't heard of yet.
2: That's my favorite part. It's a good <laughs> excuse. You say, well, I was in the pool and I couldn't call you back.
0: <laughs> well, that is a lot of technology, but do you use any offline tools as well?
2: Absolutely. I still use, got it right here next to me, a a little notebook. My favorite version is a Moleskin. I love the Moleskin little books. You know what I'm talking about?
0: Yes, Absolutely.
2: And every night before I go to bed, I write down what are the top three things that I need to get done in the next day. And I do that the day before, and I put it in my moleskin notebook and in the morning when I wake up. I'm, I'm, able to focus on the things that I need to do in the morning, which take care of my family, get my kids off to school, make them breakfast, make me breakfast, make my wife breakfast. And I'm not worrying about having to prioritize what my next day is going to look like. So I do that in my little moleskin notebook, handwriting it. I used to use technology for that, but I find that doing that in a notebook is much more empowering.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. I still use a pen and paper planner which is a little oh, yeah. redundant because, of course, I've got my Google Calendar and my iCalendar all synced up, but then everything has to be written down in a paper planner as well just so that I it gets it into my memory a little bit better, right? Like I can remember my appointments easier if I find that I've written them down beforehand.
2: There's something about handwriting, isn't there? Yeah,
0: yeah. Plus, not to mention the satisfaction of actually crossing something off your list.
2: <sighs> my favorite part.
0: And it's done and it's, <laughs> it's off your plate for at least another few days.
2: Yeah, well plus, you know, I, I don't know about you, but like when you do something on a computer, it feels ephemeral. It feels but in my notebook, I keep I keep my notebooks and sometimes I'll go back and look in them and say, "Oh yeah, I actually did get a lot accomplished."
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to actually track the things that you did get done. I mean, who hasn't written something in their notebook that they've already done just so that they can cross it out and feel that sense of accomplishment, right?
2: Yes, yes. Well, I, and I also use that notebook to once a week I'll journal and I'll say, Hey, what's bothering me right now? What am I grateful for? And what will bring me joy in the next couple of weeks? And I just do that like once a week in my notebook with my other task stuff, because it gets me kind of thinking bigger picture. And the handwriting part I think is, is to your point is key because it kind of engages my brain differently.
0: We are also big believers at A Sweat Life in starting your day off strong, especially starting your Mondays off strong. We start at Carpe Monday. The idea is just to start your week off strong so that you set the tone for everything else that you're going to accomplish the rest of the week. And I feel like that's something that everyone asks CEOs, right? So I was wondering if you had a strong morning routine and if you've noticed that the founders and CEOs you work with have similar routines or if they have quirky little differences that help set them up for success for the rest of the week or the day.
2: Yeah, so I think I'll put them in two categories and I fall into one of the category. One is those that have kids and those that do not have kids. Because for me, personally, I'm the one with kids. My wife is a physician and so I always want to give her the gift in the morning of peace before she sees 30 patients in a day. And so I make breakfast for her. I make sure the kids are downstairs eating breakfast. I make sure they're ready to go out the door because she brings them to school. So for me, my beginning of my morning is about making three other people's lives better. And that actually makes me feel good. And I can focus on the rest of the day because I know they're off to a good start. So my getting off to a good start is actually about getting three other people off to a good start. That I think is a lot, a lot of entrepreneurs and founders and founding CEOs who have kids. They're some, usually somehow involved in that. But for those that that don't, I often find a, a lot of them will meditate or pray. Many of them tell me that they will work out first. I think many of them work out in the morning because they find that it the endorphins and everything else that's kicking makes them sharper during the day rather than working out at the end of the day. Um, but I think the other thing that they they often do is they have a huddle meeting with their team. This is becoming more and more common where it's not one of these big overarching meetings it's especially for a lot of the virtual ones, they will have a huddle meeting. Hey, here are the two, three things that I'm focusing on today. And here's something I may need help with. Or some of them will do, hey, what's your one minute win from the previous day so that they all have some sort of positivity in their lives as they start their day. But usually it's this huddle meeting that's not long. and usually lasts 10, 15 minutes and it's not overarching. I think that sets the course a lot for, for, for many of them.
0: And with those huddle meetings, do they find that accountability is a key part of that? You know, announcing to the group what you're working on helps you you sort of stay true to your tasks and maintain that focus during the day?
2: Absolutely. And it does the, uh, a, another thing I think because of that, it helps the founder hear from others so they can in their mind overlay the things that they're doing with the current priorities and strategy of the company. Since things change so quickly, they're listening to where people are putting their efforts in and then they're able to go back and and help them make adjustments if for some reason something's changing. So again, it's not heavy, but it gives them the kind of that touch base to be able to say, "Oh yeah, you know." What my team is still focused on the things that we all agreed are the priorities or someone has something personal going on that we need to kind of help them out with and, and also maybe rise to the occasion and do their work for them. So that kind of alignment with the team is a big factor in addition to the accountability piece.
0: It sounds like it also helps keep the CEOs grounded in terms of being up to date on what exactly their employees' job descriptions are and what they're having to do every day. Because I know in those small companies roles can shift really quickly, right? And sometimes the CEO might not necessarily know the many hats that someone under him is wearing.
2: Absolutely, I think you're right. And you know, they don't talk about it that way mostly, but I think the roles and responsibilities is something I often talk with them about. And now that I'm thinking about some of the stories I hear over the course of time, um, some of them actually have a chart. In fact, many of them are doing this now, where, you know, they kind of, who has who has primary responsibilities in this area and who is their backup? And they use that conversation to figure out whether or not the backup person needs to move into to the primary role if, as you say, a role is changing.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's a great little system for people to start right from the beginning.
2: Yeah, I think you're right.
0: Well, of course, not everyone who listens to this podcast is a founder or a CEO, but they are probably taking this month of January to evaluate their new goals and habits that they want to set for the rest of the year. Which of your favorite productivity hacks can be adopted by non-CEOs like me?
2: Mm, That's a great question. You know, um, I find that sharing your goal with two types of people. One, a family person or someone who knows you personally it could be a family person, could be a friend, could be someone that um, just knows you as a human being rather than a role. And then a second person is someone who really knows you professionally, sharing with them your first six months goal. I don't, I don't think it should be an annual goal because it's too far. It's th- too, too many things happen in a year. But I do think between now and the end of June, sharing that that goal with two key people. It's hard when it's the same person for the personal and professional. That's why I think it's important to have to kind of break that out a bit. You are much more likely to accomplish that goal if you told those two people because at least one of them is going to ask you in the next two to three weeks, hey, how's it going with XYZ, right? Because they're just curious and you've stated to them uh, unequivocally and with intention and purpose. And so they're naturally going to be interested because we all kind of want to know how we're doing in that. You know what happens. Mid-February, the gym drains.
0: Right, right. There's a literal day on the calendar called Quit Day or Quit Your Resolutions Day. Is that what it is? Yeah. I didn't know that. It's sometime around the sixth week of the year, sometime in mid February. I've I've seen it happen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's so interesting. I did not know that. Well, it's the same idea with any other goal. You know, I mean, in, in, whether it's fitness or whatnot. If you tell at least two people, then you'll increase the odds that you'll follow through with that six month goal in the new year.
0: It's interesting that you break it down into six month goals instead of a, a full year goal. Do you envision people? Reevaluating that goal at the six-month period to adjust their course, or just hoping to be accomplished within that time frame?
2: No, definitely reevaluating. Definitely. In fact, um, when I work with founders, I always tell them, "Hey, you should be having offset from your quote-unquote performance evaluation conversations. Offset from that, you should have your career and goal setting conversations with individuals on your team because the two are very, very different. And when you conflate your performance with your goals and your aspirations and hopes, it's too difficult to get down. If, for example, you're not performing well in a certain area, well, you want to make sure you keep that positive energy. And so, I, ha- I recommend that they offset those conversations. And it's the same thing with us. We have to revisit the goal setting conversation, kind of separate from other things in our lives, so that we can kind of look at it and kind of um, give ourselves the the boy if we accomplish it, or to re- retweak it, right? Because it may change because something happens between now and June. It's too long to go here.
0: And you know, you sort of touched on this just now, but I imagine that in your work with founders, a lot of them are probably focused on very tangible results that they want to achieve for their company, right? You want to hit this metric, you want to hit that. But at the same time as you help them on their journey to becoming really effective leaders and CEOs, there's some what I call fuzzy things that they're going to have to change about themselves, right? Like how to become a better leader. Well, how how can you really measure that? So how do you help reconcile those, the differences between a less measurable goal with something that's maybe a little bit more tangible?
2: That is a great question. And that is actually the secret sauce about what we do at From Founder to CEO, because we really help the individual as a human being transform themselves into someone who has more responsibility for more people. And you'd be surprised about how you can actually measure the immeasurable of the things that you see that appear to be immeasurable. For example, one way to measure, you you mentioned leadership, is to do a quality, qualitative or quantitative 360 degree feedback with an individual at the beginning of a time period and later on in the end of a time period. And what that does is you crowdsource feedback from the key stakeholders around you. It could be friends, direct reports, peers, customers, family, and you get a really good sense of self-awareness around your effectiveness in some of those more intangible areas. And if you do a qualitative interviews with those individuals as well, it really adds to a robust set of measurements, quantitatively and qualitatively around those issues. And then you redo that in maybe six months and you can see a shift. It is very clear whether it's just leadership or self-awareness in general.
0: That's a great idea. It sounds like it must be pretty humbling for the people seeking that 360-degree feedback, too.
2: You know, there are times people tell me they never got so much feedback all at once about themselves, and it can be overwhelming. But at the same time, too, so many people tell me when when I do that exercise with them that it is transformational, not just to them as a leader, as a founder, founding CEO, but as a person, because it's about quality feedback. So we all get feedback on a regular basis, but frequently it's reactive, Right. And that's important. That's, you know, but we want to give an individual an opportunity to fully think through who we are and how we lead, et cetera. And when we do that in a more formal way, the richness and robustness of that data produces patterns that are very clear.
0: Interesting. And once you start to recognize those patterns, you can start consciously putting in the habits to change them.
2: Absolutely. And that's what we do all the time. We help create development plans from that information that get to the heart of an individual's journey from founder to CEO, because it it can be disorienting because especially a fast growth company where, you know, uh, a year from now, there's 25 employees and you had Two at the beginning of the year. And 25 is the magic number where a lot of the wheels fall off the organization for a lot of different sociological reasons. And you have to rethink who you are and how you're you're leading. Dan Shapiro, the founding CEO of Glowforge, told me in his interview, and he has a book called The Hot Seat. It's a really good book. And he said a lot of founders will hire someone who is not very good at some of the jobs you're giving up to hedge their bet about if when they get to like 25 Employees, if they're not good at leading that number of people, they can go back and do what they did before because they're kind of concerned about their ability to lead. And I found that so interesting that, and and I see that now, kind of how we sabotage ourselves because, to your point, we're not quite certain we can do these things, and we don't have any measurements around them.
0: It, It sounds like you work with a ton of interesting people, and you know, really put in the legwork and helping them accomplish their goals. Let's circle back to our second big question that we ask everyone who comes on our podcast. What is the big goal that you have for the future and how do you plan to reach it?
2: This is hard for me because we're just talking about this right now and we're struggling with it. Our... our Trail Team 10 program is pretty successful and we're, we're proud of it. And it's really producing great results, not only for our customers, but also for our company. But I, I think it's time to create a membership program for founders at a price point that is not overwhelming to them so that they can come and go into the membership when they have needs without it being a, a six-month commitment, which is what our Trail Team 10 program is. And so my goal is that by June, we will have mapped out what that looks like, got enough feedback about it that we can launch a beta membership for founding CEOs. And it's a lot of work, you know, and, and I'm a little bit cautious about even bringing it up. But I figured what the, if I don't talk about it, if I don't share it with you, then, right. then um, you know, and so I want to be practicing what I preach. But that's our big, as Colin says, our big, hairy, audacious goal is to kind of create that membership platform and program that can really serve our audience of founders around the world in a different way so that they can really take advantage of democratizing what we call executive coaching for for leaders who are growing fast and help them grow faster because businesses are just crazy now and they're growing faster than ever before but our ability to grow as a leader at the same speed is lagging and but a membership platform where people can get what they need without having a a long-term commitment in in a larger price point is something i'm really passionate about
0: well i look forward to hearing from you in June about how successful you were.
2: Yes, holding me accountable.
0: Just like you said, uh, Clyde, do you want to tell us where we can listen to your podcast or check out anything else about From Founder to CEO?
2: Absolutely. We invite you all to check us out at fromfoundertoceo.com. We are on Spotify. Super excited. A couple weeks ago, Spotify invited us to, uh, to come on their platform. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. You can pretty much find the podcast on any service that you use to listen to podcasts. And uh, I'm also probably more active on LinkedIn than any other social media platform. So feel free to connect with me um on LinkedIn. And if I can help out in some way, I'm happy to do so.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Todd. We really appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure, Christian. You take care. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Thank you.
1: This podcast is produced by me, Cindy Kuzma. And it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, while you're at it, please leave us a rating or a review. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music and to our guest this week, Todd Uterstadt.